And now for something completely different. A radio show about me. Daniel didn't see it coming. Inconceivable! The Jakeover. It's totally a thing. <laughs> Delicious. Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Wright Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your new host, Jake Buller, a geeky, relentlessly Pixar-centric Kansas person who has managed to do away with the original host. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? Hey, everybody. I've finally done it. I've completed the Jakeover of the Very Serious Writing Show. You see, Daniel was eating an Oreo right in front of me, and I just couldn't take it any longer. It was the last straw. It was like the pebble that started an avalanche. So as a result of that, Daniel has been locked into a leaky cave with a daily ration of three-fourths of a pizza crust and a high-quality microphone. Um, but actually, I've been putting him through some of that to get a greater appreciation for ancient monsters. I guess that would make him uh, <clears throat> Grindel's mother. That is, in fact, the subject of today's podcast, Beowulf and Ancient Stories. We're going to be talking about um, how that relates to modern storytelling, how that it relates to like uh, the trends of modern style, and uh, some other subjects like that. And instead of having me for a guest, I am hosting Daniel. This is the Very Serious Writing Show, Jakeover Edition. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Very Serious Writing Show, where I am now the host, and Daniel Thompson is the guest. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Thank you for roping me <laughs> into this. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks Thanks for having me, Jake. This is just... How's the cave? It's cold. I told, the, I, I told my... Uh, um, Shield holder people, and that's not the, the shield term. holder people. I forget the the shield holder the people. Sh I told them to keep the cave at seventy four degrees Fahrenheit and ninety degrees, uh, 90 percent humidity. So I hope it's suitably damp. Well, you know what? After living in Oklahoma for so long, this is this is sufficient. This this is about as nice <laughs> as it gets anywhere that I've ever lived. So, I'll I'll take it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so today we will be discussing um, Beowulf. Ah. The ancient myth with lots of cool fighting and stuff in it and monsters. There's a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> lots of stuff. Um, and we're going to be talking about how that um, relates to writing, how it relates to modern stories and all that jazz. So it's going to be kind of academic but kind of awesome at the same time. I'm glad you're keeping my sh show on topic. At least there's that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, we can jump right in. I have some questions. Oh, wonderful. Answer them, and then we can just kind of roll like that. Do I get any treats when I answer questions correctly? Um, well, if you're nice, by the end of the show, I might let you out of your cave. Oh, okay. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, I also will work for Cheetos, but we can work with that. 
That's sufficient. Um, how about Cheeto Cheeto flavored pizza crust? <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> that sounds legitimately okay. awful. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, jumping right in. Um, as a writer, what do you think about Beowulf? What makes it effective and timeless as a story? Okay, Beowulf. I, a lot of the archetypes that we see in stories today, I feel like, are derived, or at least are represented in the Beowulf mythos. Uh, the the epic hero. <laughs> Um, the three-act structure, or the three-part mm -hmm. story, even you could say, is is very prominent in Beowulf, and just the uh, the a hero's journey that goes from from a the, a starting point to a very defined endpoint. I think those are those are things that make Beowulf timeless. I think it holds up today because we've held on to so many of those values in story, in at least in American storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what? And what do you think of the ending? I'm curious. What, like it's kind of depressing. In terms of spoiler alert, c killing off Beowulf. Do we have yes. to say spoiler alert? Um, <laughs> well, when it came out like 1,200 years ago, so for those of you who still haven't caught up, he dies <laughs> in the end. You know, I think I, I think it's. I'd have to compare it to to a bunch of other older 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 stories in terms of ending it on a on a melancholy note. I like stories with melancholy notes. In the end, and the, just straight out killing the hero, I think for something this epic, I think that's the only way to leave it. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the shootist, John Wayne's movie. I think the, his last film had to leave off on that kind of this. This was the fight that got him type of note, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's another value that's stuck around in American storytelling. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What in terms of like the writing and how it affects us now? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting that I, a lot of the values in Beowulf have started resurfacing. I mean, we see things like um, when I was in college this last semester, my roommate was watching, he was kind of marathoning actually, the, the Vikings show. I think it was off the History Channel or something. Yeah. And it, it reminded me a lot, just looking over his shoulder, of some of the the way Beowulf communicates is through heroism and um, fights you might not come back from and um, that kind of thing. And then, of course, we have, like, um, Lord of the Rings, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later. Um, you, you have all these scenes where they're charging to their death, possibly, maybe, unless Gandalf comes to save them. Um, <laughs> oh, that was another thing. And I, I, think, I think it's resurfacing a little bit in modern storytelling, especially in film. I think some of the ideas of, like, epic war and heroism... I think those stick around. And one thing I was noticing, going back through uh, some, some summaries of Beowulf today... Is um, there's this he keeps saying no, I must go do this alone, or I must do it without weapons, or I must. He attaches um, stipulations to the bravery and the courage. And how mm -hmm. many times, how many times in like cinema, have we seen people say, "Oh, I must do it myself. I must go face stones <laughs> myself." No, you can't help me, even though that seems logical in this circumstance. Don't follow me, love interest, which means the audience knows that the love interest is going to follow him. For once, let's have the love interest be like, okay, and then the love interest goes and does something like really productive with her life. I don't know. That'd be fun. But like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I think I think some of the ideals of bravery that Beowulf espouses in over the course of it, I think those do stick around. Okay, so where, where do you see connections in literature and film to stories like Beowulf? We've kind of covered that a little bit, but what are some specific examples you can think of? Uh, my favorite one, I was trying to come up with, uh, with some parallels, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. Okay, I, cool. I feel like Batman Begins and the first uh, 
Beowulf versus Grendel. I feel like, well, we don't really get Beowulf's origin story. He's already kind of a hero, but like he comes mm -hmm. into being in this in this circumstance, and then he faces increasingly difficult challenges until he gets to a challenge that is too great for him after he's aged. Mm -hmm. Both of them have like a time span on their hero. Um, mm -hmm. They have less of a defined beginning with Beowulf, but a definitely defined end. And um, I feel like that kind of, that three-part story it was really exemplified in Beowulf and it gets mirrored at some level or another yeah. in The Dark That's Knight. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I think, um, spoiler alert for The Dark Knight Rises, but both of them end in a kind of death. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Beowulf actually dies, but um, the Christian Bale idea might of die. Batman... Christian Bale might... What's that? There's a theory that Michael Caine was hallucinating in, in that last scene. <laughs> they, some people keep saying that Batman died. I, I like to think that Batman lives, but whatever. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily that Batman lives, it's that Bruce Wayne yeah. lives and Batman dies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really interesting. It's like this ideal that dies in the final act. Yeah. Uh, which is much more hopeless <laughs> in uh, Beowulf than it is in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. That is true. And a lot of the plots don't follow the same point, but I feel like the, the progression is the same, and there's some, there's some mm -hmm. definite followings of that. I'm trying to think of other Beowulf-esque yeah. heroes. I mean, the, the big, in the 80s, we have we have kind of the action hero, as it takes its stand, and mm -hmm. people like John McClane, yeah. and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, today we have more of the superhero genre, which I don't see a ton. Besides the Dark Knight, I don't see a ton of like allegorical like um, mm -hmm. between the two of those. What do you think? I'm trying to think of another. Yeah, we, we definitely don't see it as much from Marvel, which is it emphasizes more of the comic book feel mm -hmm. than um, uh, DC does. But um, I think one of the examples that I, I mentioned earlier was um, The Lord of the Rings. Um, Michael Kitely has this article in a literary magazine called Mythlore way back in 2006. It talks a lot about the detailed connections between Tolkien's Rohan and Beowulf. In fact, the hmm. Golden Hall Meduseld is an old Anglo-Saxon word that is drawn directly from Beowulf. Um, that's like the the King of the Golden Hall's palace. I never made that connection. There's also, there's also reason to believe that Theoden and Hrothgar, along with Wormtug and Unferth, who is that um, guy who like starts mocking Beowulf mm -hmm. in the Mead Hall before he defeats Grendel, um, there's some precedent that, that they're meant to be compared. Okay. Like Hrothgar and Theoden are um, very similar characters in a lot of ways. That makes sense for Tolkien to, to throw some parallels since he was so well-versed in that time period, but I'm trying to think of what implications that gives Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Tolkien was talk talking about, when he was talking about the Lord of the Rings, he said he wanted to create a myth for Great Britain, because he s saw, like, in Scandinavia, they had these great myths mm -hmm. that define um, their country and their history. Um, he didn't see as much about that um, in Great Britain, so he wanted to create something about that. So he was drawing from things like Beowulf, um, putting that into his story, so that created, it made it seem more Anglo-Saxon, I guess. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of Anglo-Saxon influence in his work. Yeah, yeah, easily. You, you can see that even watching the movies. Mm -hmm. Besides everyone having, yeah, there's all besides everyone having a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, they wouldn't have been very comprehensible if they'd been talking in Anglo-Saxon, though. That so. would have been annoying, and it probably would not be one of my favorite films. If that were the yeah. case. British accents are definitely like the go-to. If you want to sound cool, if you want to sound heroic, and if you want to sound, you gotta have a British accent. Yeah, and if you want to be in a fantasy, be British. Yep. Basically. Unless you're making Pan's Labyrinth, at which point 
you're awesome. Have you seen Pan's Labyrinth yet? I have not. Go see it. Spanish-speaking fawns are the best thing that's ever happened oh, to really? fantasy. Yes. Wow. It's a, it's a, totally Spanish all the way through. Guillermo del Toro film, Spanish-speaking. Mm-hmm. You like you like stuff with subtitles, so you you won't have a problem with this. Um, yeah, definitely. And okay, I'll have yeah, to that out. for sure. Go do it. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, um, moving on. What, what are you saying? Well, I'm I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about Beowulf more in terms of like comparing it to other myths like the Gilgamesh and, and some of the other ones that mm-hmm. we get. And it it's really a lo- it's really parallels a lot better than a lot of other myths do, in terms of to to, to the modern day. It seemed to hold up more than some of the other ones. I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out yeah. why. That's really interesting. I mean, we're re- I'm, re- I'm reading in a college class, so yeah, well, it's definitely that. holding up. <laughs> yeah. I read it in high school too. Uh, I mean, it's it's stayed with us. Mm-hmm. Are you tired of waking up at night? Are you tired of having monsters descended from Cain wreck your mead benches every evening? Are you tired of having your wife cranky at you for 12 years straight? Well, the solution is right in front of you, figuratively. Hrothgar's home insurance is guaranteed to lift your spirits. For a very low annual payment of three golden torques, we'll guarantee any great haul. And if disaster and his mother descend on you twice, we'll send a super buff foreign warrior to take care of business, free of charge. Send a messenger boy now and receive 5% off on your first three payments. Hrothgar's home insurance. We'll keep you from worrying so you can get back to what's important in life, having courage and greatness. Um, kind of moving on from that, um, in today's world, uh, Christian culture and mainstream culture seem to be pretty separate. Um, how can we learn from Beowulf's dual focus, like the focus on Anglo-Saxon culture, which is kind of pagan, and bringing Christian culture into that, because it's a very Christian poem. Um, how can we learn from that? in our own creative endeavors, like as writers, the audience of this podcast. Well, I think it's important just to be aware that you've got multiple cultures being expressed in your own work, depending on the cultures that you've grown up in. Um, you're going to have Christian ideals, but you're also going to have ideals that are strictly American. The, Amer- the mm-hmm. American dream is, is not necessarily a Christian ideal, but you often see it and Christianity mm-hmm. presented together. So I think being able to look back at Beowulf and see, okay, here's the Anglo-Saxon influence, here's the Christian influence, I think... I think mm-hmm. it's worth noting that, hey, this stuff does happen. It's easy to see in retrospect, but you want to pay attention to it in modern works, but also in your own work to realize mm-hmm. for, you, for your own benefit what cultures you're representing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to mix them. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean you're, 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 yeah, you're yeah. presenting culture as, as it means to you, but it's something that you can also manipulate in your work. And the more aware of it you are, I think the more, the more fun you can have with it. Yeah, I think, yeah, awareness is important. Um, like, awareness of different... I, I feel like uh, for some of the Christian works I have read who attempt something of a grander scale, they tend to do... They tend to fall back a lot on just basic Christian theology and basic Christian theology. And I think complexity um, and knowing the complexity of theology helps a lot. Like, in, uh, in Beowulf, um, there's a theory that there's a lot of Augustinian thought in Beowulf. Um, Antonin Zita published an article in 2013 titled The Presence of Augustinian Thought in Beowulf, Super Academic. Um, talking about how Beowulf is really a combination of both Christian and Anglo-Saxon cultures. And it seems like the author had some knowledge of St. Augustine's theology when he was writing that. Hmm. Which I found really interesting, personally. That is really interesting. And that's a good point about about not, not keeping things at the base level, because whatever culture... Mm-hmm that's coming out, whether religion and whatever worldview you have coming out, all of them are really deep and 
there, there's mm-hmm. a lot there's a lot to draw from. We were we were talking before the show about Song of the Sea, which you watch and you feel like I felt anyway, like I needed to be like well versed in Irish mythos to understand everything. But when your audience is is familiar with your culture, you can go deep and you can draw a lot of meaning and significance mm-hmm. out of right. And I think that's something we see paralleled in the Bible itself, like uh, the. Um, the Apostle Paul's sermon in Athens, he quotes a pagan poet who is talking about Zeus and he uses that to talk about God. And he's talking about this altar to an unknown God and he uses that in his sermon. He's using all of these elements of culture, mm-hmm. um, but viewing them with a sense of Christian identity and the, using the, putting, talking about the Christian gospel. Absolutely. And Paul was just so cool in the way he approached his sermons and, and the, or his Right, I become all things to all people. Yeah, <laughs> he, he has an appreciation. He's not no-touchy with all these other cultures and religions. He's immersive. He's self-immersive in it in order to, to weave Christianity into the meaning that... Not, not weaving the meaning, but uh, communicating the meaning of Christianity to people of different cultures, using their own culture mm-hmm. as a guide. I think that's mm-hmm. it's just so cool. And... A lot of times I feel like Christians, uh, especially homeschool Christians, are very no-touchy when it comes to other mm-hmm. cultures yeah. and other religions. And definitely, and I, I don't think there's any problem with looking at other cultures and religions. I think it's a huge benefit if you do. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's my soapbox. I'm going to get down off of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good soapbox. It's a tall soapbox. I like it. It's, it's comfy up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of... Going away from that a little bit, I just had a note here of something I found interesting. Um, there's this gal named Dorothy Whitelook that published a book titled The Audience of Beowulf. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, she says this, The poet of Beowulf seems determined not to let us forget how temporary are the effects even of good works in this world. Um, and that really struck me as interesting. It's kind of like a subtly Christian theme. Like, she's obviously talking secularly here, but it seems pretty Christian. Um, what does a theme like that look like today? What is it? I just found it interesting that it, even the more pagan ideas of Beowulf can be viewed in a Christian light. Yeah. Um, the cultural ideas of Anglo-Saxon culture and the historical context of like, everything's going wrong, we're being invaded over and over and over again, even those things can take on a Christian meaning. I think, I think lots of things can be, can be a given meaning. You know, I think that's part of the human nature and the nature of storytelling is part part of what we're doing is attaching meaning to things. And mm-hmm. I, th- I believe obviously some things have have meaning just in of themselves. But a lot of times I feel like we, we are able to put things on meaning to tell our stories. It's not it's not a relation mm-hmm. of facts, but I think a, a fact that is that is true can be viewed uh, whether whether it's explicitly Christian or not. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to line up with, with the Christian worldview. You know, it doesn't have to be a Christian story. If there's truth in it, it should line up. Right, right. I think that's a really good point. It's like the, the old maxim, all truth is God's truth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe in that pretty firmly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still thinking about how Beowulf keeps coming back and how elements of Beowulf keep coming back into, uh, into modern film. Like, it, it just hit me again. Like, you go from Grendel to Grendel's mother. The idea of villains continuing on from br- blood relation is used over and mm-hmm. over. It's almost a trope now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we see that, like, a ton. I'm t- and suddenly I can't... <laughs> Kylo Ren. <laughs> what? <laughs> Kylo yeah. Ren. Oh, my gosh. Star Wars. 
<laughs> Star Wars uses like Star Wars is a big family. <laughs> it is. It is nothing but Skywalkers and solos and like. And, and I, I, I would argue Beowulf is similar. Like you start out the book with a whole line of Beowulf's genealogy, and then you have like the idea of family connections, and then social connections as passed down through families. I, I think it's pretty prevalent in Beowulf. And I think it has to do with how how strong fam, family emotions can be. Like, that's a base emotion. You pull it down, you strip things down to that base family emotion, and that's kind of what drives an action hero. You have lots of kidnap stories, like Taken. Is, is, his whole conflict is driven by his love of his daughter, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's, that's why it's used so much. It's because in an action film, you're, you're, there for, you're there for the action. And Beowulf is very there for the action, I feel like. Which also sets us apart from a lot, a lot of other myths, I feel like. It's, mm -hmm. it's there, it's there for, it's big, it's three big beats. But it has lots of other really odd things that happen along with it, so. Right, like the stories within the stories. Mm -hmm. Like there's sometimes an old poet will step up onto the stage and he'll tell a different story. Which Tolkien does, and Shakespeare does, and it's really. That's true, yeah, that's true. Tolkien mm -hmm. spends so much time giving us old poetry and old songs, and I'm. As a young kid, I'm sitting there like, why are you giving this to me? I don't want this. I'll get, oh, get back to the no, ring. No joke. I skipped over all of the poems when I was younger. <laughs> I, I read most of them, I feel like. I feel like I read most. I remember, like, uh, Gilglad and and definitely the elephant one. <laughs> the elephant one was great. <laughs> and <laughs> That was awesome. Yeah, not going to lie. So the story within the story is, I don't, know, I don't know why classic authors seem to do that. What do you think? Well, I mean... In a sense, that's what all stories are. That we, when we tell stories, we are telling a story within a story because our lives are a story. Dun dun dun! Storyception. Okay, mind, mind blown. <laughs> so, hmm, I, it definitely I think helps to add to the illusion of reality. Um, mm -hmm. for for culture to have it, it's just going to make things feel more real. But as an artistic element, it's just it's just kind of an oddity that I mm -hmm. I hmm. Bears more looking into it. I, I agree. Now I'm really curious. <laughs> <laughs> Get on EBSCO host. Story within story. <laughs> That'd be beautiful. <laughs> oh, EBSCO host. <laughs> my old friend, my old enemy. Yeah, no. Amen. Amen, brother. Oh, God. <laughs> Literary journals. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, if you can find one that's written in English. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, I got pretty rad at finding things in in EBSCO, but man, it took a while. Yeah, that it, was a journey. Struggle is real, man. The struggle <laughs> so is real. real. <laughs> okay, so um, kind of a one-off question: What struck you as funny in Beowulf? I'm curious. What struck me as funny in Beowulf? Yeah. Is, did anything strike you as okay? That's really interesting, or that's really funny. Um, that's a good question. It's been, again, since I read the original, it's been probably three, four years. Um, I, I just reviewed it today, and nothing struck me as funny in the summary. What are you thinking? You've obviously got something. Oh, I've got a couple of things. Um, like the part where Beowulf is struggling with Grendel and then rips off his arm and then throws the arm into the rafters of... I was, I was really holding back because I like our pulling off someone's arm shouldn't be funny. 
<laughs> like that's a dark humor thing, and like that's the only thing that occurred to me as being funny. But I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> but like, like your arms off? <laughs> no, it isn't. Well, I'm the host. I set the boundaries. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like apparently not, because I think Grandel just like dies. wandered off and yeah, it's like, somewhere. oh dang, I'm short an arm. I guess I'll go away now and perish. Oh, oh, I have a joke for what? you. It's on topic, I promise. Okay. Um, what does Grendel eat for breakfast? I don't want to know what... A Danish. No! Darn you, Jake! <laughs> <laughs> you have brought puns into this place. Darn you. What did Hrothgar say to Beowulf when he entered the mead hall? What? Would you lend me a hand? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh. Okay, that, I promise, that's it. Oh, no. <laughs> Literary theme jokes are... The best, actually. The, the actual I'm best. not sure that's the, where I Don't was Don't lie going. to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Literary jokes are the best. Mm, uh, oh, gosh. Now, did you... I, I'm guessing the answer is no, but did you see the Beowulf movie that came out? I did not. I saw like the um, CGI Polar Express of animation the of the front character. Like, you, I looked at the cover and I was like, "Why are the guy's eyes edited?" I, I just that's all that struck me. So I was like, "Nah." I'm it's gonna all the way CGI through the whole thing. It's it's a, it's like the Polar. Really? Yeah, it's like the Polar Express. Same same director. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that seems really trippy. I was like, I was going to go watch some scenes, and I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh no," um, but like. <laughs> <laughs> me when I like to see a claymation trailer. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a real yeah. shame there. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, for for a film that uh, not for a film for a for a poem that's so classic. It's surprising that there aren't more adaptations. And right, and it right. seems to fit so well into that's, our that's just... our current mental structure for story in terms of the action mm-hmm. genre. I'm I'm surprised mm-hmm. it hasn't been given more attention. But I mean, it's I think. If people are afraid of subverting the classicness of it, because I think if it was adapted for modern day, it would definitely be an R-rated slasher film. Probably, um, I mean, that's just I think directors would do to it, not necessarily what it needs. But well, doesn't he like fight Grendel naked? I'm not sure. And then sure. he pulls off Grendel's sure. arm. Um, I, I think he's... there's lots of head chopping. Then there's death and destruction and people getting eaten. So, yeah, I'd imagine that this film... Yeah, there is some drinking, too. I'd imagine um, this film is not like a PG endeavor. I'm not sure we can get Andrew Adamson to come yeah. and narniify it in any way that we'd find satisfying. <laughs> so, Oh, can you imagine, like, a 1990s BBC adaption of <laughs> Bale? Yes, I can imagine it. And it's actually kind of beautiful. <laughs> and it's horrible wow. B-moviness. Wow. <sighs> I kind of need that. I do too. <laughs> that would be wonderful. I will. I will take it. All right. So one last question. Um, one last serious question, I guess. Okay. Um, so in a question of style, um, Beowulf is all obviously pretty fascinating for its style because it's in old, this old Anglo-Saxon verse that had a certain amount of syllables per line and tied two halves of the line together um, with alliteration, and it was really interesting um, and. Seamus Heaney did a translation, um, which I was talking to you about before the yeah. show. Um, he did a translation in which he followed the syllable structure and the alliteration structure, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an interesting, it's an interesting like stylistic choice that people still find fascinating. Um, and 
good to read. Like it's it flows really well. Um, so I I'm curious. Um, there's this guy named Chris Jones who wrote an article in 2009 um, about oral tradition, and he was talking about finding old English styles in modern literature. Okay. And I'm curious stylistically. Do you find that there's a growth and an interest of using old styles in a modern context? Like the way Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings in an epic historical style. Do you think there's a comeback on that or do you think it's still mostly like stream of consciousness? Um, well, that's 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 hard. Uh, my, my recent reading has included... Uh, has not included a whole lot. I mean, I was reading Ender's Game, uh, and that's, mm-hmm. that's that's really the series I've been in recently. And I feel like it it tries to take like a higher approach, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it comes anywhere close to like the classic style. It doesn't use the stories within stories. It doesn't go the places that Beowulf goes and the Lord of the Rings go. Um, I have not seen an example of it. I've seen a lot more of the. Um, just the stream of consciousness, the type of style that's used mm-hmm. in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. I've, that's becoming very popular in both fiction and nonfiction. I'm reading Furiously mm-hmm. Happy right now. Um, have you heard of that one? It's the one with the little... I have not. It's got this little raccoon on the front. He's like smiling and it's really happy looking. And it, it's just a memoir. But, um... Yeah, I don't know if this... I think the story elements will make a comeback. I'm not sure if the style will. I feel like the style could come back, though. Just because everything, mm-hmm. it's we're in a world of everything retro. So mm-hmm. that's true. Like it, every movies are being updated all the time. Like we have, like the third adaption of Spider-Man coming up the tube from Marvel. I saw Civil um, War. Spider-Man was great. This may be the first Spider-Man film I actually see. So, wait, you haven't seen any other Spider-Man films? No, I haven't seen a single one. And you call yourself a film critic? Uh, excuse me. Oh my gosh, just because I haven't seen frickin' Spider-Man. Because, I mean, no no, no film critic's repertoire is, like, full without Spider-Man in there somewhere. <laughs> sure, I wasn't around to complain about Sam Raimi's third or the second Amazing Spider- Whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs> I'll go see Spider-Man Homecoming, and then you can be appeased, I guess. Okay, okay. Way to please the crowd, Daniel. I try. All right, uh, any final thoughts on Beowulf and how it relates to um, modern-day writing? I think it's worthwhile to go back and look at Beowulf, not just for the action beats that have stuck around, but also the things that have been left behind. Because I think, um, because we are in a retro time, I think to bring in some of the older styles, and even to start to start looking at writing in, I think epic poetry could could see a comeback. And the reason I think that is because of Hamilton's recent success. Brought, oh, yeah. Suddenly Broadway is back just because of some stylistic changes. Mm-hmm. Not that Broadway really ever went away, but like it hasn't come back like this in, in right, a right. long while. And, and Hamilton is really interesting because it uses a lot of very deeply thought out rhyme schemes mm-hmm. and um, meter schemes. Um that are new, like they're very firmly rooted in the rap hip hop genre, um, but they're very complex. I think there's a, an appreciation for that complexity. I don't think people are just watch, listening to Hamilton because of its aesthetic quality, which it definitely has. But I think mm-hmm. I think there's also an appreciation for that complexity and the, the mm-hmm. rhythm scheme. That I think mean, I think that appreciation could be manifest 
in the right. future. And I think that's I think that's why um, Seamus Heaney's translation of Beowulf has done so well. Like right away, like I have an edition that's two editions back from the edition that I'm currently using of the Norton Anthology of English Literature, and that was like from 2000. I think um, Seamus Heaney's translation was published in the late 90s, and it's already being used in that um, volume. Hmm. Caught on very quickly, I think, um, from what it seems like. And I think it's because people appreciate how complex it is. Like, he kept his language relatively simple, but he used the old line. Like, I can't even understand how hard it is to translate something from old English and Anglo Saxon, whatever, into modern English while maintaining the meter scheme and the alliteration like that it just blows my mind how difficult that would be. absolutely it is like so mind-boggling and another thing that came out recently that was mind-boggling less so perhaps was did you see that picture analysis of the entire star wars and new hope that i did not i saw that it's like a 700 foot look. long picture like it's an infographic of the entire movie and it's Ow. i think i think there's an appreciation for that sort of time in a world where we don't slow down and the, the craftsmanship, I think an appreciation for that will start coming back. So I think it'll be good to look at Beowulf and look back, see what works, what doesn't work. And the classic style may be, may be en route for, uh, for, a new, for a new comeback. Maybe we can get some new classic mm -hmm. literature. So it's an yep. exciting prospect. I think so. All right, Daniel. Well, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been fun. I'm going to tell all my people about this. This fun experience. Sounds like a great plan, man. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you. Are you laying me Thanks out of again. the hole? I'll, I will let you out of the hole. I'll send my henchman right away. Excellent. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to The Very Serious Writing Show. I'm supposed to be saying something here, but I don't really know what to say here. There's supposed to be an outro. I'm more of an intro guy. I like to, like, write out my script, um, have some witty dialogue, but... Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. So, thanks again for listening to the Very Serious Writing Show, Jake Over Edition. Peace out. <laughs>